Welcome to the Expat Cast. This is a podcast where expats share their stories about fitting in, standing out, and every mishap on the journey to finding home abroad. I'm your host, Nicole. Where I'm sitting here in Freiburg in southwest Germany, it has been raining for days and days on end, and I'm kind of into it. (laughs) It feels like an invitation from nature to slow down a little bit, stay indoors, Don't get busy with all these fun outdoor summer activities. No, no, it's time to stop, sit down, and contemplate. And of course, the main topic on my mind lately is racism, specifically the modern civil rights movement that's going on in the U.S. right now. But that movement really is broader than America. The international world has stood up in both solidarity with the protesters in the United States as well as to signal to their own countries that they want to start getting serious about talking about the racism that is in their own country. This is some powerful and vital stuff, and there's so much work to be done, especially by white people, and I absolutely include myself in that. This applies to me both as a person, so in my personal life, but also in my podcasting life. I have a platform, no matter how limited it is, and I intend to use it. And lucky for me, I know another podcaster in Germany who's also going through similar thoughts of how he can use his podcast and his platform with regards to race. And that is my not-so-rival, Sean, from the Germany Experience podcast. If you know his show and you've been following for a while, you might remember that it used to be called Expat Life Germany, and actually changed the title and did a little rebranding a couple months back. We talk about that in this episode, and we talk about what both of us as podcasters, as people, as immigrants to Germany, as immigrants from countries with intense racial histories, what we're doing, what we're thinking, and we share some of the sources that we've been listening to as we go on this journey of education. Our conversation was long and intense, and I had a hard time cutting anything out because I think every conversation I'm having about this topic feels important. So sit down with a nice cup of tea, listen to that rain tapping out the windows if you're also in a rainy place right now, and enjoy. My name is Sean Behrens. I'm I'm living in Germany now in Bavaria, and I previously was in South Africa. How long have you been in Germany? 13 years, so quite a long time. So we're here today to talk about, about racism and, um, <laughs> yeah, in reaction to or inspired by the George Floyd protests that are going on in the U.S. Oh, yeah. I think we're both full of thoughts and full of nerves. First and foremost, we we know each other because we both have podcasts about life in Germany. And I think that's important to say at the outset, we're coming into this not just as two people, not just as two white people, but also two white people with podcasts. And I know something we've been talking about sort of in the background is what do we do in this moment? And I just thought it would be great to bring this conversation to a wider audience because a lot of people are having these conversations. So here we are in the hopes that the listeners on the other end can gain something out of it. And I know it's not the easiest topic to dive into, especially on on a public setting. So thanks, first and foremost, for for being here and agreeing to do this. Well, thank you for asking me. And yes, it is 
a very difficult discussion to have, and we'll try and do it justice. So as mentioned, a couple identities that we have in common are people, podcasters, white people. We're both people who are in Germany, um, but who are not born Germans. You're South African, I'm American. So I've listed out various identities that you fit into, and I want to ask how you're feeling. And I, I, I do, throughout this discussion, want to parse out these different levels of identity because I, I don't know about you, but for me, I feel different on these different levels. So what are your feelings about all this? Whew. It's, uh, it's difficult to know where to start for that kind of question. But like you say, on the different levels of identities, I think, I, I think you don't have to be American. You don't have to be white to have watched the George Floyd video to be absolutely horrified and enraged. It's just a natural reaction to that video to see a human being treating another human being in that way. So I think on a purely human level, if you take out all of the context and everything else, it's just, it shakes you to the core to see. And I think I think that was obvious by seeing the kind of reactions that were coming from people in America in those early hours and day after the incident, maybe before things started getting very politicized, the condemnation and the shock and the horror was the same from everyone, from Democrats, from conservatives in the US. It was just something that was horrifying to see across the board. So I think from that point of view, I was dealing with with that same shock that everyone else did. But of course, when you add in the context of the situation, the racism that it blatantly seems to show, and then also the reactions to it. There's a whole lot of different ways to look at it. And for me, it, it was a difficult thing to come to terms with for me as a non-American, because it's easy to look at that and say, well, yeah, that was pretty horrifying to see and something needs to happen. But, you know, this is kind of an American thing, an American problem. And I know that sounds really harsh <laughs> to say, but that reaction sometimes is, I sometimes have the feeling that these American issues tend to drown out other issues in the world. So there's a lot of injustices and things happening all over the world. So my first reaction was that, like I said, horror and yes, justice needs to be served. But then also I was amazed at what a huge issue it became. And my initial reaction was kind of, yeah, with, but there are a lot of injustices in the world that should be getting some kind of attention as well. And I, But I think I came to the realization that this issue is not obviously not just an American issue. Racism is everywhere. And that that's where I am now is realizing yeah, this is this is not just a not not just confined. Although this specific incident and this specific thing that's going on now, I do believe is a very American problem because it's based on systemic racism that is inherent in the American society and the culture at the moment. So from that point of view, it is an American situation. But what I think what the biggest realization for me was I got to thinking, you know, America seems to have a broken system now. And then I thought, you know, where else had a broken system was South Africa, not so long ago. I mean, we're talking maybe 20, 30 years ago, apartheid was uh, South Africa. Now, th that was a regime, so it's very different to the American problem now. But it was also a system, and it was broken, and, and it was promoting injustices and inequalities. And I got to thinking, wow, well, what were the main things that brought down apartheid in the end? And yes, it was the people in the country, the South Africans opposing apartheid, the freedom fighters. But at the same time, there was immense international pressure from outside. So you could say, what interest did those people have in that? What interest did non-South Africans have in fighting apartheid and protesting against apartheid and sanctioning the country and so on? And in the end, it was 
part of what brought down apartheid was that international pressure. And I think this is the similar thing that we're seeing now is that, yes, it is an American problem, but if we all stand together, it becomes not just the Americans marching in America. It's not, it's not just tens of thousands of voices. It becomes hundreds of thousands of voices from all over the world saying this is broken and it needs to be fixed. So that's where I am right now is, is I, I realized that what, the, what I think a lot of people need to do that feel strongly about this is stand by Americans if they're not American while you guys sort through this and work through this thing. It's, um, oh, it's so interesting to hear you say that because, well, one thing about that answer that I think is really perfect is... Other than being very, very long. <laughs> well, this is actually exactly what I'm about to say. You just expressed that y you've been on a journey. I mean, yeah. it's been a couple of weeks and you've had these different moments and, and this progression of thought. And that feels really true for pretty much everyone I've spoken to about this topic. Yeah. So I guess to clue everyone into my journey about it, um, I uh, I have this news podcast called Up First that I listen to every day. And it's, mm -hmm. it's from NPR in the States and it's 15 minutes. They cover three stories, just a quick overview of, you know, what's going on that day. And the... I remember the day. I mean, it was one story about coronavirus, one story about the murder of George Floyd in Minnesota, and then another about the murder of Breonna Taylor in uh, in Kentucky, also from from police. I just, oh, I, I just was so upset and angry because those are three horrible, horrible stories. It just was like three three things that just show some of the worst of my country. And sometimes following the news from afar is really upsetting in those ways because mm. what am I going to do about it from here? And also, I remember having the thought like, I don't, it's so upsetting to hear this because it's just going to be a new story today and then we're all going to move on. And that's the worst. That's just horrible. Yeah. And I actually went away that weekend and wasn't on my phone. And then I came back to town and... I'm hearing that there are protests and that people are coming out of quarantine to stand up against this because they're hearing it finally, honestly, finally on behalf of white people. And it wasn't going away after a day. And this totally changed my reaction to the issue because especially as an American living abroad, yeah, I mean, I, I can't really start that protest. I can't join that protest. So when I hear things that frustrate me, it's a frustration. I, I felt like I had to swallow and just put in a little filing drawer in my head and move on. So it was definitely a new reaction once once the protests are starting. And then fast forward a little bit and there's protests happening around the world and, and in Germany and in Freiburg. Yeah. And then I'm thinking, oh, I'm thinking a lot of things. But one of the things is how American centric is this that we need everyone to care about our issues because again, what you pointed out, you know, on one level, racism is by no means unique to America. Um, it's something that's found in every corner of the world, unfortunately. But this specific the way it's playing out and, and the role of the police and the role of the systems and the government that are in place in America, that is specific to America. And in my mind, I'm thinking a little bit of a cringe that we almost expect the rest of the world to care about our mistakes and that we need the attention on the things we're doing wrong. Uh, for me, there's an element of disgust around that that notion. And I had to make peace with what do these protests here even mean? What are they for? Who are they for? And yeah, I mean, I, I had a friend talk to me about, you know, a friend who works more in international relations talk about, you know, he is also American, but is also very um, 
sensitive to this issue of Americans expecting the world to keep their eyes glued on them. And he was saying, like, actually, he's not feeling that way about these protests because of exactly what you're saying. It, it shows a larger unity against the issue that goes beyond political borders and that there's a real importance to that, too. So, you know, that's something I've talked about, I said, in my American groups. And it's really interesting to hear that that's one of the spots that you've kind of landed on for right now as a non-American. Yeah, it's it's the old cliche. If we let that kind of thing happen in America, then it can happen anywhere. So it is it is a bit cliched, but it's also true. And I think that's why it is good. Like you say, it is good that the world is united. And, and you said that, you you know, the Americans just expect, I don't think anyone expected the world to st stand up and get involved in this issue the way that they have. I think it just happened through the way that we get so much media coverage from America and so on. And so, yeah, in a way it is good that it's just exploded on the world stage like this. Right. And I mean, another aspect of that is turning inward and looking around wherever you are. So, yeah. you know, that's something for us in Germany. Um, I did attend uh, what was presented as a vigil for George Floyd and others who have right. died due to racism. One of the things that was really wonderful about that is it was run by the Black Indigenous People of Color group, at I think, through the university in Freiburg. And of course, they they paid respects to George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, et cetera, et cetera. They also used this platform to say, and also here in Freiburg, just because people are not getting murdered at the hands of the police does not mean that we don't have anything to talk about. And people were sharing some of their personal stories of maybe microaggressions or even outright aggressions that have happened in our small city in Germany. And so I think that's another thing that I'm really finding a lot of encouragement in because of course, yeah, how do you get bigger problems by not talking about the smaller ones? Yeah. And I don't yeah. want to, I don't say small to diminish those experiences. No. I just mean small in terms of, again, like there's not. It's not systemic maybe. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. That's something that I've seen on my own podcast in the past months. I had an Indian guy on talking about the racism that he's experienced in Germany. And just last week, I had a, an episode with a German African-American woman talking about the harmless, and I'm using that definitely in quotation marks, but you could say that it's almost sometimes subtle, sometimes it's very direct, and it's not really harmful. No one's beating anyone up. No one's putting a, a knee on anyone's neck, but it's a continuous thing that these people are facing that we just have no idea about because you and you and I are maybe what you call privileged immigrants. We're white. Maybe we've learned the language better than some people, but at the same time, I was completely unaware of these things until I heard them from these people when they were talking about it. So yes, there's definitely seems to be a, a, an element of racism even here in Germany. Yeah, definitely. So for my in my day job, I'm a librarian, and and one of my responsibilities is to buy books for the sociology section. And there's definitely been several books that have come out about Black people or people of color's experiences in Germany. I'm always interested to see how they're received because they are putting to light, as you said, the air quote, minor things, which are not minor. They're just, yeah. yeah. Uh, um, I think I'm having a moment right now. I'll just uh, be a little meta for, for a second where... Mm. Uh, it's important to talk about things and I definitely don't have all of the right words and I don't have the right words at the right moments and I'm pushing through feeling like that makes me want to just 
not speak on the topic and just sit back and listen um, because that's actually more my my instinct in life in general. <laughs> and so I'm trying to learn how to be better about talking things through and and saying accepting the fact that I might sometimes say the, the wrong things and learn about it. But um, that's a that's an ongoing experience that I'm having as I'm I'm talking. So I'm just gonna keep it all in the podcast. Um, and I guess that can bring me to a next phase of questions for us, which is what are we doing about all this? How are we reacting on these different levels? What are we doing as as people? What are we doing as podcasters, as immigrants, as people from countries with complex histories of racism? So it's difficult to know where to start with something like this. For me, I think it's important, first of all, with this specific issue is to to look at ways that you can help and that probably means donating to certain people who are fighting for it. Uh, it's not something I've done yet. I'm still trying to figure out exactly what and how, um, but it's definitely, I, I'm planning to do it somehow just to help the cause, even if it's just a little bit. And then there's also the second aspect as a non-American. I think that the problem is everyone's country has some kind of issue and it's not necessarily racism or not really specifically racism in different countries. I think at the core of these issues is some kind of inequality. So obviously in the States, there's an inequality how a certain minority has been treated over decades, in fact, centuries. It's now coming to the fore. And I think that is something that we need to look at in our own country. So what are the inequalities right now in South Africa? And in South Africa is also a complex, like you said, very complicated situation even now after so long post-apartheid. There are inequalities. It's more on an economic level than racism. There is a lot of racism that's still there, but it's the, the main problem is economic inequality. And I think that that is what we need to look at our own countries and say, are we addressing these inequalities enough? In America, like I said, it's clear. That is what the issue is right now. But there's, of course, other inequalities. But right now, that's a huge, huge thing that needs to be sorted out. In South Africa, how do we sort out the economic inequalities? And what am I doing to sort out the economic inequalities? And I think this issue... Again, it's American issue, but it's made me think of how my relationship to the country that I left behind, South Africa, how am I helping? What am I doing? I know what the key, the core issues are, but I have I done enough to alleviate them or try and solve them? And the answer is definitely no. And even to, to bring it to the podcaster level, I have a platform like you do have a platform. And I look back at my guests and when I started, I wanted it to be a very diverse and varied podcast with a lot of different guests from different walks of life. But when I look back, I didn't really follow through on that. It's ended up being a subset of people, maybe, with one or two other areas thrown in. But what I need to do is my responsibility to not just interview the guests that are applying, that want to be on the show, or, or people that are easy to get. I actually should have been, and it's on me that I wasn't, but I should have been seeking out more diverse voices, more diverse stories. And so that's something that I have to change from a podcasting point of view, I need to start opening up and becoming more diverse like my original intention was, but I got lazy and it's not good enough. And that's what I need to do going forward. So it's also something that I'm going to be doing. I'm not necessarily going to be talking about Black Lives Matters all the time is one of my decisions, but rather opening up the platform, which is still very small to be fair, but it is a platform to tell stories that I haven't yet told from other backgrounds and from, and, and, and to make it a little, a little bit more diverse. Yeah, I don't know what your thoughts from your side are. Yeah, um, so it's interesting. Earlier you said that it's clear in America right now the issue is race. For me, it doesn't 
feel that way. I think for Americans living in America, it, it might not feel that clear. Yeah, maybe this this core statement is is pretty widely accepted. The issue is race, but also there it runs so deep in so many different layers of our society. You know, in yeah. terms of how towns and 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 housing is structured yeah. and who's allowed to live where, and every state has different rules. That also makes it complicated and confusing. We have economic disparities that coincidentally happen to largely overlap with race. The mm-hmm. Corona crisis is making it very clear which populations are not having sufficient health care yeah. in their day-to-day life. And ha, coincidence, it's also people of color. So yeah. yeah, maybe we can agree that the issue is racism, but it's not so easy to agree on what the solution is. And so a lot of the work I've started doing, again, me as a person, is having more conversations with people back home about all of it. Um, right before this podcast, we, I had a little movie club discussion with some friends from from back in Philadelphia about the movie 13th which is a documentary on Netflix that I can very highly recommend. And even in this one documentary alone, which traces how slavery through the 13th Amendment basically transitioned into if you were a criminal, you could still be a slave. And how that rule has continued. First off, it was by design. And second off, the effects of that have continued to be felt till today because it's still part of this whole prison industrial complex and and policing and all this stuff. So even within this, there's so many layers of the issue to dive into. And it's pretty tricky to tease out what is the solution? Yeah. What do we want? What can we do? And having those discussions with people that I maybe wouldn't have previously had them with is something that I'm taking pretty seriously. And also starting a book club with a friend just to pick a book about anti-racism or about Black experiences, et cetera. Mm. Um, and read it chapter by chapter and discuss it. So things like this are things I can do in my private life. I'm also trying to come to terms with what I can do in my quote unquote public life. I have a hard time even saying that because I do have a platform, but it's definitely limited and I'm not mm. so unaware of what my reach is or something like this. But I but I have something and I'm not going to accept the answer that I can just not put an episode out one week as podcast blackout week and think that this is sufficient, that I've yeah. done my part. And I've used my platform and I can now move on. <laughs> I think that's really laughably unacceptable, honestly. And so I'm, I'm trying to be like, what's better? And part of my journey the last couple of weeks has been trying to find my place in this because, for instance, even if I was in the States, it's hard to imagine myself being on the front lines at protests leading chants. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I have a very mousy voice. This would be ineffective. <laughs> and... Um, and so what else can I do? It's not enough to just say, well, that that model of activism or of being anti-racist doesn't fit for me. So I guess I just won't. It's like, what else can I do? And so what I'm finding is, you know, one of the main reasons I love doing this podcast is to interview people and to talk to people. And this is actually a skill that I've been honing over a couple of years now. And so I am really good at conversation, at interviewing, at moderating. And I want to use that skill for this issue. So I was lucky enough to be asked to moderate a panel discussion for the local German American house here about all of these topics. I'm hoping that we're going to be able to do more work like that in the future. I'm trying to not be so coy about my moderation skills. I'm like, you know what? No, it is a skill. It is very helpful in this moment because these conversations are hard and you need to know how to talk to people and and how to ask the right questions. And again, I said earlier, I'm not nailing it. (laughs) I'm not doing the best job, but I'm doing a a good enough job that I can be helpful. It is your thing. Like you said, you're not the front front row of the protests and you're not 
this is the way that you can actually help. You've developed a certain uh, skill set that you're still learning, maybe, but it's it's at a level where you can take this forward, and that's that's your strength. So I think that's that's a good point for you. Yeah, and that's something I definitely wanted to share in this episode because everyone who's listening has a skill, and maybe this is a good time to figure out what that is, to stop being so coy about it if you do know, and to see what you can do to use it. You know, I think that's been the the one of the coolest things to see over the past couple of weeks. To take a very light example the bachelor franchise i'm a huge fan um <laughs> well this conversation has taken a major turn to some really serious issues now <laughs> <laughs> yeah now buckle up so hear me out here i'm going to use this as an example because it's a bit lighter right um right. this is a very it's a reality tv show i mean it's not the most important thing in the world but right. people within that community took this movement to look inward and say okay so we're posting some stuff on social media but what is that we are mm-hmm. all fans of this franchise, which is incredibly white. It's incredibly white. And over 40 seasons, they've had one black lead. And that was a couple of years ago. It wasn't the start of a new trend. It was once. It was just a once Yeah. So so the fans and different participants banded together and and started um, a movement within the larger movement to call them out and say, like, we need to do better. And granted, this is a knee-jerk reaction from the network, but they cast their first Black Bachelor, even though that show doesn't even get filmed for months. Like, they went out of their way to say, we're doing it, we're hearing you, and we'll we'll do better. There's also a lot to be said about those knee-jerk reactions. I think that that is a big start. So yes, these networks are pandering to, to pressure and some people will pander to pressure in the next few weeks as this Black Lives Matter movement is currently very strong. But that's also good because that kickstarts other things. So I think that's also not a bad thing to have those knee jerks. And in defense of me bringing up the Bachelor franchise in this moment, (laughs) another thing that I've been thinking a lot about is how important media and pop culture is on culture. Culture follows pop culture in so many ways. And so, you know what? It does matter that there's been 39 white people out of 40. It is important. And they do need to show that more on normal television. You're not saying every series has to be a person of color, but you're just saying a little bit more representation would be good. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And and I think, again, that is just an example of how, especially for the Americans living abroad and the non-Americans living abroad, wondering what, what to do because they can't join the protests or they can't do this. Well, fine. But, but what communities do you have? What are you involved in? And why aren't you asking questions within that world? Yeah. If you're in a Verein, if you've done the very German thing and joined a club um, and you're starting to notice like, oh, actually, this is not a thing we've ever addressed in our club because we're just here to play soccer. I mean, it doesn't have anything mm-hmm. to do with race, right? Yeah. Race is everywhere and it's important everywhere and it's going to come up at some point or another. And are you going to say something? Are you going to say, hey, that joke that we make in the locker room isn't really okay or what have you? You know, just it's not acceptable to say and not in this place or I'm not this way. You need to say, okay, but I am here and I can blank. And what is mm-hmm. that? And then run with it. On a similar line of thought, I really am excited to hear your reaction to this. One thing I've talked to American friends about is Americans do to some extent have some practice talking about race. Not everyone in the country is super well versed on it, but honestly, overall and compared to some other countries, we do have more conversations about identity and we have some level of a lexicon and vocabulary and framework to talk about these things. So I notice that sometimes in conversations with German friends, for instance, not to pick on Germany in any sense, just that this is what I'm experiencing lately. 
where these conversations are totally new to them. They're they're in shock when they look at their childhood games and realize who's afraid of the black man is an issue. They're yeah. completely taken aback when I say blackface isn't cool, even at carnival. That's a surprising thing for me. In the 21st century, in such a developed country as Germany is, that's just not an issue that they have blackface still and that to them it's okay. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it amazes yeah. me. So I'm wondering for you as a South African, do you feel like having that cultural history has has given you any sort of tools in your toolkit that you can bring now to help along this discussion? It definitely it definitely has. It's also what we need now is self-awareness. And I think my background as a white South African has developed a lot of self-awareness because I was very young when apartheid was around and apartheid fell just as I was, I think I was 13 years old when apartheid fell. I didn't at that point have any idea of race. I didn't realize all this was going on. I was fairly protected from it by my parents who were anti-apartheid, but not openly protesting it because they feared for their family's life and so on. So all that happened was I was kept pretty protected from it. I didn't realize. And then as I I think I was uh, 14 then in high school, and I still remember the first black pupil came in into this white school. And I still remember her because that must have taken so much courage for her to walk into this all white school. And she was literally the first one. And over the next few weeks, we got more and more people of color in, into the school. But when she walked into the classroom, I still remember looking up and going, wow, we don't have black people in our classrooms. And then I started to question it. And then as the history that we were being taught in school changed. So I was at a time where I, I literally saw the history books being swapped out. So we, we had the old colonial history where it was very pro-white and we learned about the wars that were fought within the country, the white, the British settlers, the, the, the Afrikaners against the Zulus and the Kosa people and all these people. And we learned about it from the white perspective. And suddenly in my last few years in high school, I was learning about the same battles and the same events, but from another perspective altogether. And it blew my mind because it was the same stories, but it was completely, completely different context. And then I did realize that maybe they were both skewed. I, I think it's very difficult to say that no history is written completely without context or without agendas, but there was one that was maybe very, very wrongly written and very wrongly framed. And that was the white one that we were, the the white history that we were learning about how proud we were that we defeated, we massacred Zulu people with guns. The the white people had guns. The the Zulu people had assegais and spears. And this small group of Afrikaners saw it as God shining down on them and telling them that this is their land, that they were able to massacre the Zulus. And I mean, I was too young to understand that at the time, but I just learned it in a history book and took that in as, okay, God favored the white people and that's why they beat the Zulus. I know it's very, very ignorant, but, but you know, I was young. I was young. Yeah. And then a few years later, when you realize that this was at that point, it wasn't specifically genocide. It was a massacre. And you just go, wow, that is, that is so unjust and so, I, I can't even put into words how horrifying it was to see the turnaround. So just that, Growing up with that frame of reference of seeing the history books being rewritten and then getting older and fi- trying to figure out myself, what what was my role in this? Because I wasn't responsible. I didn't call the shots. And yet I am benefiting from the apartheid system while even though there was a black government in place 
And even now, decades later, the black people are still struggling because of the inequalities in education. It's something that is taking years and years and years to, to, to fix. To me, that, that is what has brought me some sense of self-awareness of this is the world that you maybe see, but if you, if you need to educate yourself in certain ways to see the, the truth and, and things. So I think that self-awareness of understanding privilege, of understanding history and how it, how it can be changed is definitely something that I have an insight into and something that I can bring into discussions. And, and yeah, I just need to figure out how that is going to be or what that's going to look like. But that, that is something that, that I definitely have that I think a lot of other cultures wouldn't necessarily have. It's an adjustment for me since that conversation with my friends to, to view that even that experience as something to bring to the table. Overall, I think that, you know, when I look at my country's history with race and not just with black people in slavery, but also with Native Americans and all of this, I mean, I feel a lot of guilt and shame and that instinctively makes you want to clam up and not talk about it. Yeah. But Actually, I think I'm learning the exact opposite is what is important. That reminds me of uh, another book that I saw at my day job the other day. Um, it's from a, I believe she's actually an American philosopher. And the title of the book is What We Can Learn from the Germans. And the concept is the German reaction to World War II and the Holocaust in comparison to the American response to slavery and how both countries have handled these shameful histories. I haven't got a chance to read it. Also, it's in German and it sounds very complex. So I'm, I'm going to have to poke around and see um, see how I can consume that. But I'm really interested. I mean, that happened to come out, I think, the week or if not the month of all this st starting. Um, and, and I mean, there's also ugh, there's so much to talk about. I mean, there is Germany's history with the Holocaust. Like you can you can draw a lot from how they handled the last 60, 70 years since then. But then also what happened before that, like what Germany has a colonial history that mm -hmm. maybe wasn't handled quite as well as yeah. the response to World War II, et cetera. So there's so much to dig into, but looking at my country's history and what I've learned, how I've learned to learn about these things, I think is important. And look what you were saying. I mean, what a valuable experience that you had. You learned at a young age that history is not fixed, yeah, that history fluid. is fluid. Yes. And as much as, as that's shocking and, and, uncomfortable especially as a kid <laughs> it is um, but it's so it's so vital i mean that's something that adults struggle to learn and you you knew it because you had to because that's what happened to you yeah. <laughs> yeah it's a matter of figuring out how to point this out to people and say this is positive this is probably what's going on here but the problem is and i don't know what you think about this nicole but the problem is a lot of people have latched onto the re response of the protesters to say well yeah this person was killed, but look at the overreaction from the protesters. What, what do you, I don't know what you think about that. Like, is that a narrative that you see that's being held up or is that just, because I'm not maybe as deep into the American news as what you are. Yeah. Um, maybe that's also regional. You know, I was talking with a friend who's from South Carolina the other day and they were saying her friends from back home don't know that the rest of the world is protesting and the news hmm. that they're showing there does not necessarily include a an international viewpoint. That being said, South Carolina is a very conservative state and they're getting different information than some other places. I would say more so, I haven't heard the term overreaction so much as um, uh, that it, maybe with the, the riot, rioting and looting, again, air quotes, 
Um, that's where people have said too yeah. far. Yeah. Um, but I think, I mean, honestly, that's for me something that's really important in this moment. Black people have been killed because of their race by other citizens and by police for decades, centuries, and even recently. And there have been protests in response to that, again, even recently. But then a lot of people didn't pay so much attention. They thought this was an issue that was happening with other people. They kind of stayed out of it. Now it's much more of a diverse crowd at the protests and a wider reach as well. You know, it's had all 50 states. And I'm hearing of even my tiny suburb had an event at the local school wow. for people to come wow. and, and protest and stand in solidarity. And that's unheard. That's literally never happened in my life that I know of in that town. And yeah. people maybe disagree, but I don't know that I'm hearing that many people say it, it's an overreaction just because they, at this point, I think it's pretty, it's becoming more clear to more people that, that it is such a big problem. And I, I think I said it on my last podcast episode as well. It is something that I understand as well that, you know, I, I felt angry watching the, the the George Floyd video as well. And it was real anger and I'm not even American and I'm not even black. So I can imagine how angry and how just after decades of seeing this happening, that of course you're angry, of course. And, and it's just something that, that also needs to be expressed. I think it, it's, it's also... I mean, I draw the line at hurting people or even damaging property. I, I struggle to think. But at the same time, these people need to demonstrate that they are this angry. They tried to do it peacefully by kneeling at American football games. And that was not a valid viewpoint, apparently, according to uh, even the NFL itself. So what are you supposed to do? How do you express that anger? So I think I think that's also something we're seeing right now. And also a funny little follow-up effect of that is, you know, kneeling was was too much. That wasn't acceptable. Yeah. And then there were protests. And then at some point in the protesting, people said, okay, well, fine. The kneeling was actually fine. We were wrong about yeah. that. But yeah. the protests are the issue. And then there's there's looting and rioting, and that's not okay. But suddenly, yeah. in comparison, the protests are. So a funny little side effect of that all happening is that yeah. more and more people are actually like, oh, actually, it's fine that they're protesting. So, oh, okay, yeah. then great. I do want to ask, to bring it back to our, our current life experiences, are there any examples of when race has played a role in your experience as a foreigner in Germany? Like I said, I think I'm I'm fairly privileged when it comes to that. But there were times, and this was a few years ago, this was when we first got to Germany. So we're talking about over a decade ago, where we were looking for apartments. And I definitely got the feeling when I told people that I was South African on the phone or on application forms that... I was shut out of the process very, very quickly. And I didn't, you know, it's one of these things where I wasn't sure at the time, is this my imagination or is it because they think that we might be black South Africans? And at that time, our German was very broken. So when I was speaking on the phone or whatever, I was you, you go half English, half whatever. And I would get as far as saying where we were from and the conversation would end. So I had several interactions like that. And I was just thinking, is this because they don't want to, rent the apartment to a black South African. And I also had one or two situations where I got as far as showing up for a viewing of an apartment and the the agent or the landlord or who whoever was there was visibly surprised that we were that we were white, that I was white, and almost relieved at times. And I just, you know, 
so that's the closest I think that I've gotten to experiencing some kind of disadvantage. And and granted, this was in a smaller town. It wasn't a big city that's used to international people. At the time, I was thinking if this is if this if that was some form of racism that I was uh, seeing. And and back then, I don't know if it's still the case, but back then there were some descriptions about the apartments that actually wrote "Kein Südländer," which is no uh, how could you put it Southlanders. So people, I guess, from Italy, North Africa. Jeez, they wrote that on the. And that was written. I haven't I haven't seen that in the last ten years, but I can tell you that thirteen years ago, that was something that I saw on various specifications for the for the apartments that we were looking for so and that's not that long ago no so that i think that's the closest i've come to experiencing racism or that racism has impacted me specifically have you seen anything like that nicole well i think one thing that experienced is exactly that privilege thrown into clear light where if i'm in a conversation about foreigners or people with a background of migration, yeah. and I include myself in that category, and I make that clear to the group, sometimes the group will tell me that, oh, but you're not a part of that. You're, like, yeah. We don't mean you. That's a good point. And I'm like, oh, but you do, because the word is foreigner or person with a background of migration. Yeah. Um, that includes me. I'm, I migrated. You know it. It's not the case where I'm a, you can't hear my accent and yeah. and I, you just think I'm from here. No, no. Like you, you hear it, you know. Yeah. So what, what is it that makes me different from the people that you do mean? What yeah. is that? And that's something I hear a lot. I've even just recently had a Twitter discussion about that with some folks th- throughout Germany where coincidentally, again, um, white people are not included in that category. Yeah. Although factually speaking, yes, we are. I'm sure you've gotten that one too, it, yeah. I'm a hundred. I can a hundred percent relate to that. But it was also something that I was doing. I mean, it's, it's a tricky thing about this wording that we use and and how we reference it. But it was only really recently that I realized that there was this real difference in meaning to what a migrant is or what an immigrant is to a lot of people and what expats are, and that there's levels to these to these words that of what people are thinking and and even to the minority group like uh, a Pakistan guy once told me that uh, he was surprised that I would invite him to a show. My show was called Expat Life Germany. And he was surprised that I would invite him to a, a show about being an expat. And I said, why is that? And he said, because to him, an expat means someone moving from a country to another country that has similar or better than yeah. uh, than where they're coming from. And 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 I was like, <laughs> that I, was just not a definition that I'd ever thought of myself and then I realized that there's all these things around it, like exactly like you're saying, it is exactly what people, how people think of that, that they wouldn't include us as migrants or immigrants. And yet that's what exactly what I am. I'm also an immigrant, just, just the same. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I know you changed the name of your show probably in part because of that experience and other conversations like it. And, you know, I still have my show called The Expat Cast and, you know, the thoughts definitely occurred to me too. I suppose right now I'm still standing on the stubborn side of being like, to to me, that word means you're there and you're not sure if you're permanent or not. You know, you're you're there not just to travel. You're there for a longer time. You you live abroad, but you're not immigrating. Yeah. And I'm holding on to that and I'm trying to like elbow people out of the way to make room for 
the group of people that I understand to be under this. And yeah. I, I mean, it's also just a name I interview immigrants. It's like, I've, exactly. but I, I mean, I, you're right. Like it's, it's, it's exclusionary to some people and, and to some people. And yeah. I think that, that, that's where the self-awareness comes in as well, because I'm not saying that it is that way. And, and my, my choice to change my podcast name, that was a part of it that I didn't realize that it was a weighted word to some people. And I was amazed at how many people define it in certain ways or this way or that way. The main reason was that I wanted to represent that it, it's it's got a definite focus on Germany. And that's that was the reason. But part of it was this thing. But I also think it's important that you know what the what the uh, definitions are and that you clear, clarify it and that you're showing this is the definition, actually. An expat can be this and this and this. And it's an immigrant and an immigrant and, a, and whatever. And I think that's that's also important is that self-awareness. Yeah, yeah. Another thing that's just been important to me is in this whole journey of talking more about race is, again, just in some facets of this conversation, there's more than one right answer yeah. and or more than one right action. And just sort of learning a little bit of patience and understanding with that. There's sort of this online culture to point fingers and, and name call quickly yeah. and to yeah. really chastise people for not getting into line with your opinion. And I'm really hesitant about that. So yeah, for me, for me, I find my power and my purpose in this by being a little bit more patient and slow going. And, and maybe that's wrong to some people. But in that case, I just would encourage them to act as feels right to them. And mm -hmm. that serves a role too. And just to see each other's power, you know, just because if yeah. someone didn't post a black square on a certain day doesn't mean that they're encouraging racism yeah. like they might exactly. have their own action that they did that meant more and made more sense for them and yeah. just a little understanding about that i think goes a long way I, I think that's a good approach because i think finger pointing doesn't help at this point it doesn't help to stand up and say well you're doing it wrong because there are a lot of people doing it wrong and even as we've discussed here even people who are aware of everything are also doing some things wrong but the important thing is to get this, the, these points out in the open and to make them. And even if people disagree with them at first or some people think, well, that's rubbish, it's important that these points are being made and that there's so much conversation about this right now because everyone's on their own journey. Like I went on my own journey after this George Floyd thing. I'm still on it in a lot of ways and you are as well very much from what I hear. And everyone's on their own journey and some people will take longer to get there. And, and, and sometimes we need to hold people accountable and say, well, that actually is not good enough. And there, there is a time for finger pointing. I think when right. yeah. it, I can't define when that is, and it's a very, I don't exactly have the answers, but I think that there is a time to hold people accountable, but there's also now's the time to be a little understanding that this is a lot for, for people who are suddenly having this realization who, and who are suddenly on the side of this cause saying, okay, this is a thing. This is a thing, but I don't think we need to make those people feel bad right now. And we don't need to point fingers at them and say, well, this is. You're, this is, you've changed your mind since three months ago. It, it's it's a very tricky time. And I think the best thing, like you said, was just to get these points out there, to get these conversations going and make sure that enough people come into contact with these points so that they can think about it and take it into their own lives and hopefully make changes. So to bring it back, since we're wrapping up soon, I, I know we talked earlier about what we can do as podcasters, but I just want to say again, I'm really excited to, to see where we both go from here. Um, I, I would also second what you said earlier. Um, I also totally set out being like, I'm going to showcase so many different walks of life and different experiences on my podcast. And then you get busy and you end up just having guests on who reach out to you. And yeah. sometimes that is diverse and sometimes it's not. And so I, I'm also going to 
try to do better about not just scouting out certain people, but also certain topics. And another thing that was suggested to me from a listener that I really like is is just bringing race into conversations more, even if the topic is not explicitly about yep. race. A question or two in 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 the mix is a really nice way to to bring that in. I agree, and and we have that opportunity because that's kind of what our discussion is about. Our discussion is integration, and of being different. We actually have the perfect opportunity to bring it in. So I think that's a great point, Nicole. I'm going to do that too. I'm just going to copy you and do that. Too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm stealing your thing about more intentional guest choosing. You're yeah. in mind with the questions. Where it's yeah. great. It's great. Yeah. I think we call this synergy or something. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Rivalry is what we've been calling it. But Rivalry is right, but it's not working anymore. I think we need to it's rethink that wording. Not quite panning out, no. Um, <laughs> one more thing that I'm trying to do, especially on my Instagram, is to share things that I'm consuming something I noticed when this all was happening is that, wow, I actually, a lot of these conversations are not totally new to me. Somewhere along the line, I did encounter things like the movie 13th, um, podcasts yeah. that, that interviewed um, Black people or Black activists. It's uh, just, just a range of things, which is not to pat myself on the back. I just want to, I, I, it made me realize that I just am like in my own little bubble thinking that we're all getting this information. And then I'm realizing like, oh my God, no, some people are just learning about this for the first time, like right now. And how does yeah. that happen? Like, what what am I doing wrong that this is, that I'm somehow, it's it's stopping with me. So people can head over to the expat cast on Instagram. I'm sharing a lot of different things that I'm doing and reading and watching to continue my education about racism. And I'm also saving these to a highlight. Um, so you can scroll through that to get some ideas. And I can also link to the book I mentioned earlier about what we can learn from the Germans. And I'll mm -hmm. also link to a book I just started reading this weekend. I We don't have to, have to fully get into this this question, but I don't even know how to say the title because it's, so it's in German, but it's um, a N-word is not allowed to sit next to me. Okay. It's by a Black Bavarian man and his experiences growing up as a Black Bavarian man. Okay. And this is the title. So it's just, it's right there. I don't even know how to yeah. talk about the book. I don't know. It's actually spelled out on the... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I thought, I thought it was like N star, 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 maybe. No, no, but no. It's, that's hard yeah. to say, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because the Germans do say that word very easily, don't you find? Far more easier than in English, which is why I'm yeah. like, is it, should I... Uh, should I be saying it? It doesn't, it yeah, does not feel yeah. okay to me. And so I'm not, um, what, I mean, this, this man who wrote it made it that title for a reason. So yeah. maybe by the time I'm done this book, I'll have a better <laughs> answer, yeah. but, um, I can already tell from the first chapter I'm in, you know, I'm in for a ride and this is important to me to start not just doing my, my research and reading about in the U S and in other mm -hmm. English speaking countries, but also to, to start reading those books I'm buying for the library. Um, so I can link to those in the show notes, but I want to hear from you. Um, what kind of articles, clips, movies, whatever, would you like to recommend? Uh, several. Um, I haven't had chances to read books because I really do. I've got like a reading list that, that goes pages long on my Google Google Docs <laughs> notes, especially with three kids at home at, at the moment during coronavirus. I'm not getting chances to to read books. But I, I watch a lot of Trevor Noah because he has a very good way of making eloquent points and putting them in a way that people can understand. And uh, he also reads a lot himself. So he, there were a few videos, and I can send you a link to one in particular that was uh, really, really, really amazing for me to to highlight the issue of what's happening in America. And I think it's good to have an outsider as well making commentary like that. And and I also get my information through, from podcasts. So. The armchair expert, um, Dax Shepard, he had some interesting guests 
straight after all of this happened, like uh, a writer named Heather McGee that wrote about it. I learned a lot. And of course, me being a non-American, I didn't realize the depth of the issue here. I didn't realize that there's been decades of credit prejudices, that that black people couldn't get credit for for homes. And then suddenly they were given home loans when people realized that we could profit off of the black people as well. And all of this blew my mind. And it started by listening to Dax Shepard episode with Heather McGee. And she's also writing a book that she's finishing up right now, actually. It's not even done. But I would love to read that when it comes out. I can't remember what the name will be. The, the other reading that I've done is just on Wikipedia or articles on the internet trying to understand what's going on. And I've realized that I have a lot of work if I want to understand the, the the history of this issue. Because like I said, it's not that I was taught this in school. And yeah, I just need to find a ways to educate myself. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's a hard realization. And for me yeah. too, I, I didn't learn this in school. I don't, I, yeah. I don't know if I can pinpoint where I did, but not, not in the public education system or yeah. frankly, the private education system either. Yeah. The thing you're supposed to learn from school is how to learn, right? So exactly. hopefully we're all pulling up those tools. Also, quick little librarian anecdote. Ooh. As a certified librarian, I can hereby officially declare, if you listen to an audiobook, it's reading. If you read an article... It's also reading. Yeah, no, it's fine. You read. <laughs> I've heard you it from read. a librarian, folks. There, yeah. there we go. I had this exact discussion on an interview that's going to be coming out in, a, I think, in a few weeks on my podcast where I was also asking, is that reading? But the, but the context was slightly different. But okay. uh, I do read a lot of audiobooks, but but unfortunately not about this issue. But that's that's something that I need to change as well when I get back to reading. Yeah. For anyone out there being too hard on themselves thinking it doesn't count unless it's a printed book that they read front to back. Nah. Nah, nah, nah. Y'all read own it. It's fine. <laughs> so, well, with that really eloquent um, ending, I think we're going <laughs> to round the corner and head to home um, with the ending segment, which is called Zack, Zack, Zack. It's a rapid fire question round where I ask you three questions that you're going to answer without thinking it, overthinking it. Just go with your gut. You ready? Oh, God, am I? I don't think I am. We got through all this. You can do this part. <laughs> all, right, all right, all right. Let's go. Let's go. All right. You are a Musician, I also assume that you listen to music. So what is your most recent earworm? My <laughs> my most recent earworm? That's a good question. Um, what was it? It was, it's like a hundred Beatles songs. So <laughs> there's this kid's TV show called Beat Bugs. And what they've done is they've taken the Beatles songs and they've made little kid's episodes around them. I have discovered Beatles songs that I didn't even know existed. And these songs have stuck in my brain so much so that I've become obsessed with the Beatles in the last two weeks. So it's, it's, if you mention the Beatles song, it's probably been an overwhelm in my, uh, in the past few weeks. <laughs> yeah. During the quarantine lockdown situation, what was your number one snack of choice? Ooh, number one snack of choice. Well, I was trying not to eat candy and chocolate and things like that. So I uh, ended up, having the sweetened yogurt and cashew nuts. Very healthy. I'm impressed. Yeah, me too. And finally, what is the last thing that really made you laugh? I, definitely my kids. My kids make me laugh on a daily basis, but I know that I laughed at uh, I laughed at my daughter today about something. I just can't remember what. She's four years old and she's extremely eloquent and very, very strong-willed at the moment. And she, she comes up with some uh, absolute clangers. <laughs> Wonderful. People have definitely not gotten enough of you yet. Where can they find more, Sean? Where can they follow along your journey as you commit to more diverse stories on your podcast? There yes. we go. Yes. So the, the podcast is called The Germany Experience. 
I've committed to some more diverse stories. I have ideas of what I'm going to do, but unfortunately these things take a while to execute. So not much is going to change in the next few episodes, but over time it is going to be getting more diverse. So the Germany experience, and you can also go to thegermanexperience.de and I'm also on Instagram at the.germany.experience. Wonderful. I will also link to all these things in the show notes. Sean, thank you again for coming on and talking this out with me. You were a wonderful person to talk to for for so many reasons, and I'm really lucky to have you as a collaborating podcaster. Yes, rival. I meant to say rival. I was going to say you meant rival. Uh, Thank you so much for asking me. It it it, uh, means a lot to me that you that I was able to come and also talk through these things as well. I tried to do it on my podcast, and it came across preachy, even though I didn't mean it as being as preachy, but. It, a lot of this came across as me trying to tell people how they should react as non-Americans. And I was like, that's just not working. And this has given me the perfect way to express my opinion. So thank you very much for having me on. Is there a such thing as thanking someone too much? I might be approaching that point, but thank you, John. Thank you for coming on to the Expat Cast and having this discussion with me and sharing it with listeners. Listeners, I've linked to the various resources that we mentioned in the show notes, as well as links to Sean's podcast and website. And you can head over to Instagram or to Twitter to the post about this episode and share what resources you're enjoying, because I'd love to take a look at them as well. As always, I am appreciative of every rating and review that this podcast gets. This is one of the most core essential ways that a podcast can grow. So if this conversation or any other ones that I've shared in the show have meant something to you, please take a moment Hop on over to your podcast app or hop over to Podchaser and leave a review and a rating for the Expatcast and for Sean's show too, for the Germany experience. You can follow me on Instagram and on Twitter at the Expatcast, and you can email me at theexpatcast at gmail.com. On Thursday, we'll be back in your feeds with a new episode in the Travel Germany series. Until then, have a wonderful week. Stay healthy. Stay safe. Bis dann. Tschüss.